Hello, I'm Somi Arya. I'm the founder of Empeak, a platform where visionary women come to gain live access to global leaders, learn about the macroeconomic landscape, and stay ahead of the curve. In today's podcast, I speak with Karen Laus, a communication coach and educator who primarily works with women to ensure they succeed in their careers and reach their peak potential. Karen was first a guest speaker on Fempeak, where she spoke about five ways that women give up power and how to get it back. Her talk stood out to me and I thought I should definitely interview her for this podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. So uh, you were one of our guests, obviously you were with Professor Seeger, you did this uh, really amazing uh, session together and you talked about uh, the the fact that there are five reasons why uh, women, oh, there are five ways that women give up power mm-hmm. uh, and, and what to do about it. So I thought that a good place to start because, you know, during the, the session, there's Q&A, etc. So I didn't quite pick up exactly what the five were. And I thought it might be a good um, way to start the conversation today to kind of say, like, can you talk me through those five reasons and how, how do you define, like, if you were saying, like, number one, this, number two, this, uh, that would be a good place to start. And then we can kind of go back and look at each of them in more depth. So in your opinion, when you look at how women give up power, how, how would you count those? Sure. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say that because I feel like there's multiple ways. There's definitely more than five. And I don't necessarily have like, oh, here's the top five. It's more of the ones that have shown up for me that I have really powerful stories around. And for example, I'd say one of the major ones is that how we undervalue ourselves. So that's, that's one of them. So the other thing that I want to say, I love that this is a conversation that people could be eavesdropping on because (laughs) we'll make it particularly authentic because I might say one that might be a little bit different sometimes like, oh, this one just came up this week, for example, but I do see some very common themes. So the undervaluing, would you rather have me go through a few? Yeah, first? let's go through uh, the five. Tell me the okay. five that that's just really quickly. stand out for you. Okay. Because, yeah. because I was thinking of it in terms of like, for example, one is in your posture, one is in your voice, you know, like oh. is that how one way of seeing it or, but okay, but you're, you're coming at a different angle. And as you say, I think there are so many different ways of looking at it. So let's go with the ones that you mentioned. So undervaluing okay. is one. Sure. Yes. Yep. And, and actually such a good, moment for you to mention that because um tomorrow we're filming at royal Albert hall for uh, the um you know my other company and yeah. uh, the team are going there to film and um it, one of the uh, artists who is um, going to be playing there a female artist you know international concert pianist and you know i was talking to somebody who knows her and we were talking about the pricing and how they these artists price themselves if you see the difference between um the way that the male artists um price themselves you know sell themselves and women female artists very very stark difference you know they really you know it's like the 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 big star of the show is not the the woman i want to see a woman being first of all considered uh, to be the star of the show in situations like that 
And I would, I would like to see women really valuing themselves more. And it's all about positioning. It's not about your gender. I know that our gender a lot of times doesn't, um, and, and doesn't help, uh, you know, in situations like that, because historically women have not been the uh, gender that have been considered for these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some areas, such as in probably music and arts, uh, this is even a bigger uh, gap because um, they haven't quite heard of diversity yet, <laughs> you know, you know, um, yeah. but, um, <laughs> yeah, but but ultimately, I think it comes down to positioning. I, I, I have a belief that right is not something that's given to you. It's something that you take because, mm-hmm. because nobody's so going to say, let me put it on a platter and give it to you. Nobody's going to exactly. do that. I was just talking to a friend about this the other day related to you have to advocate for yourself. We were talking about doctor's appointments and things where you just, people are not paying attention to help you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's so true. I, I love what you said. You have to take it. It's, yeah. it's, and we have to get comfortable with building that muscle because that's the other thing that I've noticed, particularly as women, is that we won't speak up. We'll hold back from sharing our ideas. And that's really what my whole message is all about, that we hold back and we hesitate. We are so busy in this. Now I'm getting kind of, I'm, I'm mixing okay, up. So undervalue, okay, undervalue, so undervalue. And then I didn't have hold back as one oh, okay, okay. In, in and of itself, although that is very true. But one of them is also we're hesitant to self-promote. So lack of self-advocacy. Yes. And then I was just starting to bring up one of the other ones is that we're always looking to accommodate everyone else as opposed to looking at what we need, what we want. I even do it to my cat. (laughs) I have this kitten, kitten, right? I put his (gasps) needs behind, uh, 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 you know, ahead of me. I'm like, you know, that it's probably because he's my only family. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know what I mean? And it's, I'm now in this weird situation where, so I, I, I've never had a very close relationship with my family back home, oh, but I support them, but I support them financially, etc. But, you know, oh. they, we have a very convoluted relationship with my mother. She doesn't really understand what I'm doing. And uh, she has never been there for me, you know, when I was, when I was growing up. So we, de- we had a very complicated relationship. She, um, both of them, my, my dad and my mother, um, and they're religious. I'm an atheist, you know, all of those things, you know, I, I just sort of turned oh. my back to, to religion. And my mom said, I regret the day that you learned English <laughs> because that changed you, you know? So, so all of those things are, you know, they oh. kind of stay with you. Right. So there's all of those yeah. things, but still when they ask me for something, there are many times where I have really gone out of my way to help them. Uh, even though I truly don't have the bandwidth, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I really have to push myself financially, time wise, et cetera. Um, so we do. So we put ourselves ahead of everybody. We feel like the world is our, on our shoulder, that everybody, why is it we have the sense of responsibility? And 
I have to remind myself time and again that I'm not responsible for other people, right? That you're yes. not responsible. Like everybody is responsible for themselves. They make the choices that they made the choices that they made. You know, they um, uh, have to see the consequences and, and you know, it's, it's not our job to fix everything for everybody. Um, mm. and, and I'm, as I'm getting more and more successful, the, expectations of people around me becomes more and then I have to kind of train myself to say um, that there's there has to be a boundary and and there has to be times and sometimes they may not understand why I say no Mm -hmm. but I know why I'm saying no you know I know that in the long run this is the right decision you know at least for me it's the right decision yeah so so Okay, so that's another muscle that we need to develop. Well, um, and to your point about that, that I want to remind everybody that no is a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah, I love and, that. No is a complete sentence. I really love it. This, this is going to go on our, it needs to be on a t-shirt. Let's, yes, let's create some. <laughs> I agree. Well, and so often, especially as women, we feel like we need to explain everything. Well, the reason why, and da, 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 as opposed to just saying no. Thank you. I'll pass. Mm-hmm. I've gotten really good at saying I'll pass. I feel like that's a little softer. Like I'll say no, but then I'll say I'll pass. So let's see. All right. Have three. Uh, undervalue, uh, hesitant to self-promote, always accommodate everybody. Mm-hmm. And then we speak softly or tentatively. We speak tentatively would probably be how to say it. And that's yeah, when I get, yeah more into the actual mechanics around our voice speaking with projection, having conviction in our voice versus a question mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I had a, a client here yesterday and we were talking about this. I said, you know, you, you speak with your head voice too much. I was like, bring it down a little bit. So when I'm talking to investors, I speak from my gut. When I'm talking mm-hmm. to corporations, I speak with my chest, you know, and when I'm uh, speaking to people like to my cat I speak with my head like hey baby you know that's like the head voice right <laughs> and then this is this is like chest you know corporations yeah. clients friends you know family right. most of the time you're in chest here yeah and 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 then there are times where like when you want to be really taken seriously talking to investors talking to you know like giving a talk etc you know, that's where you go to your gut, you know, you speak exactly. from exactly. Right. I love how you are so aware of the differences. Because I was a singer in a heavy metal death death metal band. <laughs> oh no way. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I you know to like two thousand people, etc. Yeah. So I had to sit, learn to kind of sing. Well, I was a singer, I was a screamer. <laughs> oh so, my like gosh. a growling. <laughs> So I learned all of those things and and to this day it, it's such a great concept I really think if if we teach young girls at school about these things like you know when you want to be taken seriously when you are you know in a position where you're negotiating mm-hmm. asking you know that kind of thing you speak with your gut you speak from here when you're you know with your friends you're uh, you know, people that you want to connect with, you are in your chest. But then that when you're in like, you know, a mode of like, really, you make yourself vulnerable. So here we are vulnerable. Here we are equal. Here we are uh, dominant. That's awesome. 
<laughs> I love how you separate that. Oh my gosh. That's really, I, and it just actually just came to me now, this uh, dominant thing, you know, it's just I like sometimes that. you're, you're yeah. explaining, sometimes you're explaining something and you're, you, I love metaphors and I think mm-hmm. that it really helps. And it's like about imagining also, where do you feel like I have a, a really good uh, friend and client and one of our Shapanis and investors, um, her name is Sarah Monroe. You might know her. She's written the book and the Shed Method, published by Penguin. She's oh. really, really, really amazing. And uh, she's a great coach. And she always talks about. She's like, whenever I, I'm talking to her about being under stress or you know, like pressure, etc. She says, "Tell me where do you feel it?" Because uh, having that awareness of where do you feel that um, yes. pressure, pain, right? I, and based on that, then you can start to tackle it that's like the body yeah. awareness right so I, and I think it really helps right so when we, we talk much. about women speak tentatively I think that's kind of like for me it, it's a, it's a feeling of not being sure whether it's usually between here and here and they're not sure it's kind of isol- uh, oscillating mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. not they're not uh, talking with definiteness about like they're not clear about the, their position. Would you say well, that's true? Yeah, like, well, yeah. I want to separate. So yes, if I'm understanding you correctly. And then one of the other ones. So with the speaking tentatively, that's really more about the the voice itself. And maybe that's what you're saying. But it sounds like you might be getting a little bit to the message. Or maybe I... What I'm thinking about is because to me, correct me, if I'm wrong, because English is not my first language. When you say tentatively, it means unsure. Is that right? Yes. Hesitant. Yeah. And when yes. I say, yeah, hesitant. So to me, you are unsure when you're not clear about, in, in a dialogue, there are three positions. Either you're dominant or you're equal or you're sub, right? Um, submissive, mm-hmm. right? And to me, tentative is when you're not sure uh, where you stand. And often, it's a question of, am I submitting or am I equal? It's, it's very rarely even you know, a question because if you were questioning whether you were dominant, you were already in a better position. But, but if, you're a, if it's a question of, am I submitting here or, or am I being treated as an equal? And because it's a question rather than saying, I am being, uh, you know, like the, the tentativeness yes. comes from not being clear. You know, if you go into a conversation knowing with clarity, we are talking as equals, like here now we are talking as equals, you know, then uh, it, when I'm talking to an investor, I need to be clear about what's the situation and what do I do? I make sure to put myself in the dominant position. And I'm mm. like, I'm a prize to be won, right? And, yes. and, I'm, and I'm willing to walk away. You know, like, you know, like you're, you're an investor. There are many investors. There's only one summit. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. like, like, if you make your, <laughs> if you make that to yourself, clear to yourself, right. And you go into that conversation with the, uh, and, and then there are times that that doesn't work. <laughs> and, and because the other person, because you never know what the, where the other person, but in, on the whole, I would say in, almost 90% of the time that works because you know you come in with because that's what they want to see actually they want to see somebody who is who has conviction yeah. in themselves right you know yes. and uh and 
and then occasionally it doesn't work. And actually, I had a very bad uh, experience after the one that I told you in the session. Oh, right? I had another really bad one, which was a, a woman actually, and uh, you know, and, and she just completely threw me off because she just um, came in with uh, like she was late and she was on her phone. It was like oh, it was, oh, and she kept interrupting no. all that. Stuff. But but that but those are rare. Most of the time, yeah. I'd say ninety percent, like nine out of ten of my conversations are are fine because I come into them not tentatively but definitely. So mm-hmm. so would you say that the opposite of tentative is definite, where you're clear clarity? Yes, I would, and I want to expand because one other of these is related to the actual content. So okay. that's what I call. We, we ramble and give too much detail. Mm-hmm. Like I just so, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, But I wasn't, I didn't mean to ramble. I was just trying to figure you weren't out. Rambling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated by this because we're talking at a depth that most people don't really get. And so it's, it's so interesting to hear all of your, like just the nuances that you're talking about. And it's fascinating to me. And even just as you were talking about clarity, like definite versus tentative. And I think that one thing is with the voice, when I, when I'm talking about tentative or hesitant, I'm talking about the actual vocal, how you sound vocally Mm-hmm. And it does definitely relate to, are you definite or not? Mm-hmm. But the other fascinating thing is that at least from what I learned as a kid is the fake it till you make it concept that you might not know everything about like back in the day I sold makeup and there was, they said, you're never going to know every single thing about every product, but you have to act as if you do. So I was definite in the way that I spoke, but I didn't necessarily have a lot of confidence around what I was selling because I didn't, I mean, I knew it 80%. So it's also interesting to me that, uh, because I think a lot of people think, well, and the reasons why in general, one of the reasons that women are hesitant to self-promote is they feel like, well, I have to have 10 out of 10 qualifications for, to be able to apply to this role. And yet, if we can come across with confidence and we have seven out of 10, then if we come across as definite and with conviction, then we don't necessarily have to have the exact 10 out of 10. Yeah, exactly. So I find it fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I guess for me, that comes from, you know, I wrote this book, actually it's behind me, that one blue one is called Career Fear and How to Feed, How to uh, beat it, not feed it, beat it. I guess yeah, I'm I thinking about feeding the cats. So, <laughs> so career fear and how to beat it. Definitely don't feed the fear. Um, so, uh, and, and there's a chapter in it called Knowing Yourself. Um, and I think what I was talking about with the tentative, definite, etc., it comes back to this concept of knowing yourself. Um, because if you I, I guess, you know, I, I've studied myself so well and I've like, I've always tried to really, un, you know, since I was four or five years old, I, I remember always asking, who am I? You know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I used to look at myself 
in the mirror for ages and thinking like, who am I? Like, why am I here? What is this? Why do I have feeling and senses? And, you know, so it was, wow. it was fascinating. So that sort of became uh, a source of knowledge in a way. And I kind of felt like I could just learn. I, you know, I remember, you know, being in Iran, because I grew up in Iran, being in Iran, the chances of you end, ending up in jail is pretty high, especially, you know, it's a bit like being in North Korea, right? So mm-hmm. if you're not, uh, you know, I became an atheist, at, you know, pretty young uh, age. And um, when you uh, live in a place like that, I, I kind of resort myself to the, to the idea that it's quite possible that I might end up in jail. And I thought that, you know what, even if I end up in jail, I could be just in one room alone with no book and I could still grow because, because I, I could feel that I could just sit and think and find ideas grow, you know, like, like fine. So, wow. so a lot of these things that I talk about are not things that I've read anywhere. They're yeah. just a result of observation. I really think that we can learn so much by just observing. And if yeah. I could teach uh, young people one thing, you know, like children, we are taking away the ability to observe with our educational system. And, and with young women, young girls growing up, you know, if they can, if they learn to observe and question, they can learn, they can find things about themselves you know, I remember like growing up in Iran, I remember thinking like, I can move a mountain, which is funny now we have Fempik, which is all about mountain. Now I can move a mountain, I can do anything. Like, where did I get that confidence? You know, my mom, my parents told me in, in, in our culture, it was like a woman's laughter should not be heard. Wow. So you're not supposed to be heard laughing. So how do you go from being in that kind of oppressive society to then saying, you know what, I'm going to learn everything that there is about finding the power to do, to to get myself out of that situation, to do the things I want to do, to change the world, to to change the, uh, you know, the situation better for women, for, you know, uh, anybody who is oppressed. So um, I... That's why I think that everything, all the power is here. It's, it's inside us. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's in your gut, it's in your heart, or it's in your head, you know, wherever. <laughs> so is these three things, right? Like, and and um, the power is there. Um, you just need to tap into it. Yeah. So, so uh, true. So, okay. So I don't know why we, we got there. Uh, it just sort of went there. <laughs> You and I have so much in common. I mean, I was always obsessed with personal growth ever since I was a kid. Like, why do people do the things that they do? And that's why I got a psych degree. And yeah, it's just fascinating to hear you talk about it from your experience. Yeah, I guess. And I'm a living example of if I show you a picture of where I was born, you'll never believe where I've gone, right? You know, and I, I just wanted to kind of set an example that it really doesn't matter where you're born or you know where you are brought up what gender you are it doesn't matter everything yeah. everything that you think is is a negative to you it can be positive you yes. just have to see it that way 
everything so, that you think is, you know, my accent. So many people laughed, you know, especially Iranians. When, once I started putting uh, content on uh, online, um, uh, you know, uh, I had a lot of Iranians, especially commenting, oh, like her accent, look at her Persian accent. And I was like, and they were like, oh yeah, you might want to practice losing your accent. And I said, you know what? Actually, I don't want to lose my accent because my accent oh. shows that uh, I am an immigrant and that's part of my, it's part of my branding. You know, I used to say, yes. the other thing, like, like yes. people said, like you have one eyebrow, it's like your eyebrows are different. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> it's part of my branding. <laughs> I can't believe the things people say. I know. I know. And and as women, we get judged. Right? Yes. Yes. If you are a man posting content, nobody gives a shit about your eyebrows. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, you know, if you're it's there's always something. People are always going to make a, a comment, right? So yeah. I would say one of those things, one of the ways that we give up power, maybe we should add this, you know, number six, is that we give in to, not give in to is not the right word, but we put too much, uh, we give too much weight to how people judge us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we overthink it, we think about it too much. Exactly. We're like, you know, like so-and-so. I used to, in the beginning, it used to bother me. And they said, your voice is shaky. They said your um, eyebrows don't match. They said you have an accent. And you know what? After a while, I was like, you know, I don't care that my voice is shaky. I am nervous because I've just started speaking, you know, that <laughs> early days when, you know, yes. like, you know, I have the courage to get up and speak. And I, and I used to say to them, I, would, you, I used to reply. I got a lot of these on LinkedIn and things like that. I used to say that um, I'm not, I'm not a presenter. I'm somebody with knowledge that is sharing her knowledge. So you shouldn't mm-hmm. care and you shouldn't worry, be worried about the way that I speak. You should really pay attention to what I say. And if mm-hmm. you pay attention to what I say, I'm solving a problem for businesses. You know, at the time I used to talk about millennials and marketing to millennials and things like that. And, uh, and, and to have the courage to say that to people um, mm-hmm. And then if uh, a lot of people would respond and say, okay, got it, you know, understand. Uh, and after a while, I, dec- I decided I'm not going to even reply. I just don't have time. I'm just like, yes. going to leave it, right? And, yes. and I know that I'm doing it. You know, I know that the, if you want to learn public speaking, the only way to do it is by public speaking. There's no yes. amount, <laughs> there's no amount of, of uh, practice in front of the mirror that would right. um, that would help you overcome the nerves of when you stand on stage. I've done it as a, as a singer. I've done it as a speaker. You just have to keep doing it until you get comfortable with it. And you yeah. have to be okay with people laughing at you, with people, you know, hearing the, the shakiness in your voice. Mm-hmm. Just say, it is what it is. I have to do it until I get used to it, until I get ready and comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you give yeah. up power by caring about what people say mm-hmm. 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 right so that's another one yeah. um yeah okay so uh did i miss so there was there was the, the voice and then there was the content you said oh yeah we we give too much detail and don't get to the point get to, to too much detail yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, every time you say that, I, re I realize I'm doing that. Okay. <laughs> In this conversation. <laughs> also, I find that when I'm very tired, I talk more. And I am very tired. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, well, been, it, it, the, the good news is you're very interesting. So. <laughs> Oh, thank it, you. It's fascinating. Now I'm really enjoying the conversation and it's so fascinating to hear your perspective as well. Imagine it's, if you weren't enjoying the conversation either. <laughs> and I was and I kept talking so much. So um yeah, it's part of the charm. <laughs> I love it. Okay. One other, well, because technically I have seven. That's my typical okay. talk. Seven. Okay. Good. But the one other I think we haven't covered is we use minimizing language. Yeah. A little, just right. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. how do you, how do you, uh, so I learned about that from a guy called Julian Treasure. Okay. Uh, he's given a TED talk. It's called uh, how to be, uh, and he's written a book on how to be heard. That's, okay. that's the title of, I actually think I have it somewhere there okay. and it's a very uh, it's a very very good book and one of the things that he talks about he's got a whole chapter on these minimizing words he doesn't mm -hmm. say that women use it more but after listening to you I realized that women do use it more so he's like don't use things like um, uh, just and little and I think you know, like, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, that kind of thing, right? That, that, we, mm -hmm. and, and, and it took me a while just reading that book. Every time I talk now, I try to remember, you know, not to use those words unless it's really necessary. And even in emails, you know, I used to say, that, yes. hey, so and so, I just wanted to catch up with, I don't say I want, I just wanted to catch up with you anymore. I just say, now I say, I wanted to catch up with you. Yes. Checking exactly. in with you. Hi, so and so checking in with you to see how you're getting on. Da, da, da. Right. Yep. Not I hate just checking in with you. Right. We're exactly. Exactly. So, so important. So, yeah. so yeah. but how do you get rid of that habit? Well, I always recommend no matter what you start recording yourself in any situation. Mm -hmm as anytime you can, but email is a really good place to start. Yes. Go back and review your emails, edit your emails. Most of us say things like we, we say too much. I think, and, and there's a time and a place to say, I think when somebody's asking your opinion, yeah. but too often we use it like, or, or words like as maybe, a filler word. Yeah. Maybe kind of, sort of, like you said, little, just for example, Anyway, I'm, I'm getting into, we all know the examples. <laughs> I don't yeah, need to give yeah. more of those, but the how to change it is start noticing. The first thing is just simply self-awareness, kind of like what you've modeled your whole life. You've yeah. been a, a, a studier of yourself, of personal growth, a student of that. And I would say, be a student of yourself. That's what my suggestion would be for everybody that's, that's listening and start noticing. But half the time, we don't know we're doing these things until we hear it ourselves through a recording or we get feedback from other people. Yeah. So those are the two ways that I would suggest it. And with the feedback from others, you've also got to be specific because most people don't want to just randomly give you feedback. But if you say, I'm working on, on language that might be minimizing or it's 
things like just, whatever you think you tend to say a lot, or maybe you just don't know. So then you could ask somebody, and obviously you've got to ask somebody that you trust, can you notice if there's any words that I am saying that are taken so, away from meaning? That's right. Yeah. So one of the ways that that might be helpful if I mention it is one of the ways that I overcame it was allowing myself to have a pause, to telling myself it's okay to have a pause. People mm -hmm. will forgive you for that. And they, you know, rather than I try to, rather than say, um, or I think, or, you know, and things like that, uh, oh. I try to like this, right? Uh, you know, it's okay to have that moment of a pause, right? Say, I try to uh, think about what am I really saying and saying to myself that it's okay to have a small pause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. because actually, actually having a little pause helps you being heard more easily, you know, gives the other person a moment to um absorb for me it happens quite a lot because English is not my first language and I learned English you know by the time I, I you know I started learning it when I was 10 uh, which is already too late you know and I was in Iran right and uh, actually I left Iran when I was 23 so it, it, I really learned it mainly as an adult you know properly so there are many times and especially when I'm tired it gets harder to kind of remember words so instead of using those filler words I thought to myself it's actually okay to have a pause and it actually helps you uh, being taken more seriously sometimes as well absolutely absolutely yeah I talk a lot about that when I'm talking about voice because pausing is directly linked to credibility yes because if you come across as in control and usually when somebody's talking so fast you feel like they're nervous or they're not in control. And so when we do those pauses, it does make a tremendous difference. And people feel like, oh, this person is taking me somewhere. They're a leader. There's all these things that people think about just by that small thing, which mm -hmm. is the pause, like you said. Yeah. And I, I'd say, be mindful once again of filler words. And half the time, this is where I go back to recording and getting feedback from others, because I remember one of my very first talks was, uh, yeah, it was, I don't remember where it was. Anyway, it was a couple hundred people. I was really proud of how I did. And I got a lot of compliments, which was great. But when I listened to the recording, I noticed that in 15 minutes, I had said, you know, 41 times. Yeah. And I was so surprised. I did that. I did that as well. Yeah. It's so hard yeah. to, uh, I, I'm so lucky because I'm a filmmaker. So I, I've always had somebody with me filming whenever I was talking. And then when we were editing it, I was like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so bad. And we were like cleaning, like we were cutting every, every 30 seconds, we were cutting something out. Ums and you knows and, and, you know, and it can still happen depending on, it, it happens a lot less, but, you know, it can happen. And yes, and, and yes. Uh, especially if you're tired, if you're talking about a new uh, subject area that you're not used to, you know, it can happen. Um, but it's okay to 
allow ourselves to have that pause and it does really help. The other thing you mentioned mindful, one of the things, there's a whole chapter on mindfulness on in my book. And I think that it, I, you can really use this. I think there's a real opportunity to use it as a mindfulness practice. practice. Um, you know, because you can use it as a way to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to really listen to myself, right? And by listening to myself, I start to become aware of the way that I speak and the things that I say. And That's that really helps. Yeah. It's, it's one of the best mindfulness exercises. That's so good. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. Well, and you you made me think too, as you were talking, about one of my clients about six months ago said she tends, she's the head of a nonprofit organization. So she's presenting, she's fundraising all the time. She's in front of her board. And she said that she has the ten, this tendency to immediately react when people say something and to start speaking, but then she rambles. So she said, I need something to help me with that. Mindfulness. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we came up with stop pause, breathe. And that's what she says to herself before she makes a comment, stop, pause, breathe. Then she'll comment. And she said it's helped her tremendously. Yeah. And one of the things that I would do when I'm, if I was in her position, because it happens to me a lot where if I'm giving a talk and people ask you a question and there are times that I'm like, really like as they are speaking, I'm like listening, like looking down, you know, I'm like listening. And then when they finish for a moment, I just don't get, bring my head up. I continue to look down. And it, it creates a sense of intrigue as well. But it's because yeah. genuinely I'm thinking. And then I, I come back and say, hmm, this is interesting. You know, <laughs> you know, and yeah. like, like it's good because it's like, oh, she's got something very important to say. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, and, and usually, you know, I do. But then I say, um, let me, see if I can help you rephrase that or let me see if I can help you rethink the way that you see this you know and, and that really like throws a person and in a good way and it, it yeah. actually makes something but that shows that you're really connecting with the person you're you know you're you're taking them even more seriously by trying to understand where they're coming from and uh, and sometimes it helps to say let me, let me repeat that back to you and see if I got it right. You know, mm-hmm. like these kinds of things, they can help because sometimes yeah. it could be that in the process of asking, let me repeat it back to you, that you're buying yourself time to think more, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, and also you want to then make sure that you are indeed uh, understanding where they're coming from. So mm-hmm. it, it deepens the conversation. So these are little techniques that, again, you know, I learned mostly from experience, which was like, you know, it's important to not to feel like I have to give an answer to everything. It's more important to make the other person feel that they're being heard. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's the marker of a good dialogue. And and it really is a great um, mindfulness practice as well. Because, you know, I always say in the book, I talk about my definition of mindfulness is active participation rather than being a passive observer. Mm. That's what I mean, right? Like you're actively participating in everything that 
you know, you're co-creating your reality with the world. So I don't believe that we have complete free will, but I also don't believe that we have no free will. You know, we are co-creating our reality with the universe. I believe that we are bundles of probability. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, physics, probability theory, you know, all those uh, good things. And essentially, I, I see that we are bundles of probability, like, you know, these little bubbles that come out, you know, and these bubbles, they, some bubbles are bigger, some bubbles are smaller, some bubbles burst faster, you know, it depends on what other bubbles are around them, you know, and, and, and there's all those things, right? And you could be, and your, your entire life experience is like a little bubble. And how can you make it more, more meaningful, right? So cool. I love that analogy. And it just makes, makes um, because all, since I was a child, I always, when I asked, why am I here? The whole point was like, I just wanted to understand what's the meaning of this life? What's the point of this life, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually I came to the conclusion that the meaning of life is the experiences that we create. And, uh, and we are like those bubbles, like, you know, uh, like a yeah. bundle of probability uh, yeah. you know I with all these <laughs> I, and, I talk a lot about possibility so yeah I love that probably yeah like what is possible and that the, you know it's you have there's infinite possibilities for you to and it's yeah. so fascinating I, I'm a true believer that uh, the power of imagination is so fascinating in my life everything I have imagined has happened everything like if, if, if you see a picture of like my house, these colors, you know, my best friend will tell you before I left Iran, I was I was ex- describing to her exactly the kind of color scheme that I want for my house. And, you know, the the way that I wanted my life to be, you know, all of those like I'm on a top floor of, a, a you know, of a, a tall building and uh, the view that I have, like everything that I, I thought about has happened exactly. And I remember like thinking about, I wanted to go to New York and, you know, the way I wanted uh, things to happen. And then when I came to the UK, 2005, I came to the UK, 2006, I got invited to uh, the United States by the US State Department, where they paid for my trip for three weeks. And I went to uh, the Senate, you know, gave talks to the people at the Congress, you know, uh, spoke at the um, at the State Department, went to the Chicago Tribune, like uh, American Enterprise Institute, Brookings Institute, like I was like, 24. Uh, and like wow. this happened to me that like, and, and they paid for my trip, they paid me like $70 a day, in addition to paying for everything. And oh I had, I was God. there for three weeks, went to Memphis, went, went to um, uh, the Elf- Elvis's house. You're like this incredible thing happened to me that the U.S. government paid for my trip for three weeks because they were because I was studying politics in um, in Scotland and they and they were interested in hearing my thoughts on having just come from Iran. You know, on uh, the way that the the uh, this was after twenty. You know. Uh, the, the, uh, 11 September 11 uh, mm-hmm. you know three years after September 11 and they were considering bombing Iran and I was like no don't do it it doesn't help look what happened to Iraq oh, so like they were they wanted to talk to young Iranians who were studying politics to get uh, get a and their feedback and understanding of you know what's going on in, in the region and what's the de- general sen- uh, sense of you know how people feel about things and so I got invited to America and, and, and I went to New York for 
so like four or five days I was in New York and they paid for everything and I had this incredible experience just like I had imagined like somebody else paid for me to go and I always yeah. the other thing I, I always used to think that um you know I want to be in a position where like people fly me around the world so that uh, th because they want what's in my mind and the reason why was that my my dad said I told my dad he was like what are you going to do with your life I said I want to be a philosopher I was like no philosopher can make money you know how are you going to you know live right and I was like no I want to be a philosopher and people are going to pay for for my thoughts <laughs> and, and that happened <laughs> you know like that's this, so this great like now I, I get flown to like I, I was flown to Japan to give a talk for eight minutes <laughs> like, oh, for four man. days like business class travel to Japan you know best hotel everything paid for to talk for eight minutes and like yeah it can happen <laughs> that's amazing yeah yep. well, so I guess moment. this is the the opposite of giving up power <laughs> <laughs> that's right well, we are so much more powerful than we think. I've have, I've had you know people say to me, "Well, how you always seem to have things come your way. You're always in the right place at the right time." And I feel like, well, I expect that. And I had a similar experience with my apartment. I remember visualizing a, I wanted a view, a fireplace, a balcony, and in San Francisco, I wanted a car and a place to park it. And so. <laughs> A few, you know, about a few years later, I found I had written that out on a piece of paper and I found that in my house that has a balcony, a view, a fireplace. And yeah, more than I Amazing. even expected. And the same, similar about traveling. So I remember sitting down in my 20s saying, I want a, a job where I'm flown all over the world. I want to work two to three days a week and train people on some type of personal development or communication. And I had a job like that for 14 years before I left just last year. Amazing. So, yeah. And you liked it? You enjoyed it? Oh my gosh. Talk about, really? to your point, not eight minutes, but it's funny in Japan, I would go, they had a three-day manager training and I had a 45 minute section on communication. And I remember one time, so I would fly out for that. And I remember one time flying back the next day and the flight crew was the same. And oh. they said, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> it was less than 24 hours, you know, whatever. It was about a day later. And they said, and they, they were on their way back. <laughs> and they said, boy, you must be pretty important to be flown out just for that. And I was laughing, thinking that's exactly what I want to do, to be flying around, going to all these really wonderful countries in the world. And it's been quite fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, so would saying. you say... So would you say that maybe one of the ways that we go give up power, I, I keep adding to your numbers, is by, by not giving ourselves the permission to think big, because I'm yeah. so passionate about uh, encouraging women to think big, mm -hmm. because Absolutely. I'm like, you know, I, like I always say, let me show you a picture of where I grew up, you know, anybody seeing that picture, you know, like, you'll be like, Oh, you know, you can't, like everybody reacts to it. It's on my LinkedIn. I, I've written a, uh, an article and I've got the picture in there. I'm oh, like, look, this is where I grew up. Look at, look at this house. Look at what it looks like. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at, you know, everything. And 
look where I am now. How did that happen? Right? Like, you know, where that picture was taken when I was like five years old, 20, less than 20 years later, I was being flown to America by the US State Department. <laughs> That's so inspiring. That's so yeah. inspiring. And, and how did that happen? And and of course, um, even when I was in Iran, I was working for the uh, for the United Nations for European embassies. I was earning dollars while uh, everybody else was earning real. That's why I was able to save a lot when you come here, pay for my own education. I've always supported my parents. No, nobody supported me. I always supported them. You know, so I always made money. I I made money even before that. I was a uh, I was always very entrepreneurial. When I was seventeen, I was working as a VIP uh, tour guide and uh, these tourists um, they would buy expensive Persian rugs and I was getting big commissions on them you know getting tips in pounds and uh, dollars etc and you know saved all of that money and then came here and paid for my education so um, everything is possible right so but what what happened if I could code and the reason why I'm so interested in talking to you is trying to decode what I I did. And I've tried to decode it some degree, but I think that you do, sometimes you do things. I didn't necessarily think that what I was doing, it's in retrospect that you Mm -hmm. find those Mm -hmm. things, right? But listening to people like you, like I never thought in terms of, okay, seven ways that women give up power. Um, But when I listened to you, I I could see all of those ways that either it has happened to me and I have overcome them or somehow it didn't happen to me. Like this mm. fake it to make it until you make it. I I don't really think I suffered too much from um, um, <sighs> imposter syndrome. I always believe that mm. I deserve it. I will get it. I will do yeah. it. I can yeah. do it. You know, and I'm like going to give it everything I can. Uh, it's fun, you know, the way I, I see it more like, um, I see life like in business, I see it more like a, an Olympic athlete. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's how I, that's the analogy. So when people tell me, look, I haven't watched a single Netflix series or movie or TV series, anything for two years, two years. I haven't watched any, I have had no entertainment for two years. And when people tell me why, I'm like, I'm like an Olympic athlete, but in business, I'm really focused on building what I'm building and I want to make it a huge success. That is so cool. Right. And, and because when people tell you, oh, you don't have work-life balance, I'm like, well, would you say that to an Olympic athlete, athlete that is practicing? That's the level of concentration that you need to have focus that you need to have. You can't afford any slip. One yeah. slip and you're yeah. out of the game. That's if you are, so if you want to be, look at, and actually it's even harder than that. Because if you look at the top tier of business and technology, the world is run by 10 corporations, you know, five mm. in China, five in America. So in China, you have Alibaba, Baidu, Xiaomi, Huawei, Tencent. Uh, in uh, America, you have Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft. 10 corporations. Um, you could add Tesla, you know, I wouldn't say that they, uh, I wouldn't put it in the same category, but you know, he is the richest man in the world. So uh, let's say a, a handful, right? And they are uh, all 
founded and run by men. What does it take to add another 10 that are founded and run by women? Yeah. It takes the same level of uh, focus, energy, dedication, all of those things. And it's much harder for women because, you know, we are the child rearing um, sex. So I decided not to have children mm-hmm. to make all of the necessary sacrifices. And also I am aware, going back to probability, I'm aware of the fact that having come from Iran, I've lost a lot of time. So I need to mm-hmm. make up from that time for that time. You know, I didn't become a British citizen until 2015. So I always say my, lo- my life didn't start until 2015. I've only like, lived for five, six years. There's so many things I couldn't have done until I became a British citizen. Because the Iranian passport is like the worst passport you can have. <laughs> you can't do anything <laughs> with it. It's like, you know, I think after North Korea, Iran is like next one up there. Uh, right? Yeah. So I wonder... I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that maybe we've become like in not we because I wouldn't count myself, but Western people? Do you think Western people have become too soft? Do you think that maybe lack of like you know? I wonder if adversity, a little bit of adversity, is a good thing. Oh, for sure. I wasn't sure what you meant. I was going to ask you how you define soft. Because, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I, like there's not because I just don't feel there's enough hunger. Yeah, know? I'd say that for sure. I mean, boy, it's hard to say as a whole population, but all that I what I can say is that adversity, hardship can certainly help character rise to the surface. You you find out really quickly who people are when things happen that are challenging or they come from situations you know, like yours is probably an unthinkable situation for where you came from to where you are now. And I think that we, in general, in the Western world, we have it really easy. I mean, you know, so much so that there's that whole colloquial phrase called first world problems. Mm-hmm. People say things like that, you know, oh, I couldn't get the spa appointment I wanted first world problems or you know, that's, that's even a little extreme, but thinking about all these things that we are so, we're so privileged and we don't yeah. hardly ever realize it. And even in my twenties, I was in a performing group for four years and I traveled, I lived with host families for four years and 25 people from 25 different countries. There were 150 of us. And it was fascinating at a young age to learn so much about all these other cultures. And then having done, I've done missions trips in third world countries. And it's, it's so powerful to see what other people live like compared to us particularly. I mean, obviously I'm speaking more from someone who did grow up in the U S as a white person privileged for sure. I mean, we were definitely middle-class, but let's face it, the U.S. middle-class is very different too. Yeah. Very different. I mean, again, you know, I, I almost feel like I'm not even qualified to talk. To and and it's not even just monetary, you know, for example, when I was 17, I was forced to marry my cousin. And then he was like, uh, I'm going to lock you up until your hair is as white as your teeth. But actually, I've noticed that I've got a few 
uh, white hair is coming out and <laughs> I am not mucked up. <laughs> oh my gosh, how did you get out of that? Yeah, with difficulty. And I got, that's why kind of the whole relationship. You know, let me tell you something really funny. So uh, my far rel- my relatives, even my aunties, they think that I'm still married to my second. Because, you know, after that one, I, I got out of that. And then my parents put pressure on me to get married again uh, because they didn't want to have a young divorce at home. And I did. And, and then uh, I kind of disappeared from the uh, face of the earth. They, they know that I, I left Iran. But they think I left with my <laughs> with that husband because I, I divorced him too. <laughs> <laughs> right? When did that and happen? How old were you when you divorced 22. him? 22. 22. Oh, wow. And then two years later, you were... Uh, yeah, two, one year later, I was... I learned, yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I married the, the second one. Uh, so the first one, the actual marriage didn't happen. It was like, like a kind of engagement that they have in Iran. So, and I got out of that very quickly, but that through the whole relationship with my, between my mother and uh, her sister, her, you know, because it, he's my first cousin. Like, because imagine having to marry your first cousin, like, you know, you're supposed to be like brother and sister. And um, yeah. it's a very, very com- complicated oh, situation. And then, um, so I got out of that and he was like, you know, I'm gonna uh, lock you up until your hair is as white as your teeth. And he was only four months older than me. So imagine a 17 year old boy saying that, right? Um, and uh got out of that then the second one and now everybody still thinks so I very very I don't talk to my parents very often but when I do occasionally talk to them my mom is like yeah your auntie is here she says hi and she says hi to your husband I'm like uh, yeah <laughs> thank you my husband says everything is great you know oh thank god, my they, don't, gosh. Thank god they don't speak English you know but <laughs> if somebody who does speak English and listens to this and tells them you know and I always tell my mom why don't you tell them the truth? You know, I really don't want to be living this life. I don't care. And she's like, I care. It's like our reputation. Wow. <laughs> you know? So, wow. so my, so my parents are technically ashamed of me still. Oh. And and all of my family still think that I'm married. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. So I, I think those. Oh no, it doesn't matter. I laugh about it now. I mean, I that's- always think. Terrible, I always though. think that when I write my, when one day I write my uh, memoirs, you know, my autobiography, I'm going to write it as a comedy because it's so, <laughs> honestly, because it's so dramatic that you really don't want to, you know, when I first came to the UK, uh, there was a really, um, really kind agent who wanted to help me write my memoirs and I couldn't write, it was too painful. I couldn't write it. Mm. He, he's now passed away. Um, Toby Edy, he was a very big agent in the UK. And uh, I never wrote it. And I was like, you know what? I probably need to wait until I'm 50 so that I have healed from all of those things and put it aside and like gain my success, etc. And when I do write it, I'm going to write it as a comedy because it's just hideous. <laughs> it's just hideous. <laughs> you know, like honestly, it's, it's a joke. <laughs> you, can't, you can't believe it. Oh, wow what a what a great conversation I feel like I, I interview people and I talk more myself <laughs> <laughs> it's all good no it's wonderful to connect with you so so okay just to recap before you go so you said about um 
the, the, um, I want people to take something away from this all. Uh, women give up really in seven ways you mentioned. Undervalue themselves, um, hesitant, they're hesitant to self-promote, they mm -hmm. always accommodate other people, uh, mm -hmm. they need to learn to, to say that no is a complete sentence and I, I'm yes. really going to do something with this, I really love it, um, <laughs> and, and credit you of course. Um, and then uh, they speak tentatively. Um, uh, then they give away too much detail. Uh, and in the process, they uh, lose people. Uh, they use minimizing words. And have I lost or missed something? No, that's good. That's it. Well, and I was going to say, do you, I don't know how much time we have left, if anything. Very good. But I'm wondering if we could walk through each and I can give a tip for each yeah, one of them. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So would you be so kind? Okay, the first one, undervaluing yourself. So my antidote to that is to trust your gut mm -hmm. and speak up for yourself. And that's easier said than done, but really figuring out what is it that you want and getting in touch with your needs so that you can articulate those or at least share your opinion. So that's part of the holding back. So we look to other people, maybe as more authority figures or thinking that they're more important for us. So we've got to stop asking for permission and say what we think. Mm -hmm. And then what was the next one? If I can ask you to say them. Sure. Um, so the other one was a hesitant to self-promote. Oh yeah. So for this one, thinking about self-promotion, not as, Ooh, look at me, look at me. Cause most people are afraid that they're going to come across as arrogant or that they're bragging. And if we just think about this as making ourselves visible so that people know who we are and what our gifts are, because we all have a story to tell. We all have gifts to offer the world. And so if we can remember that we're actually doing people a service by simply letting people know that we've got the skills for whatever it is. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. I, I actually have an example of that. Yesterday, uh, I was talking to our client about uh, she was like, oh, how's things going? And and then I said that, oh, yeah, and uh, I have an interview uh, with me coming out in Forbes this week. And she was like, what? Why? What? Like, why? Like, I was like, yeah, yeah just like, just, like oh I really downplayed gosh. it. And, and, and I really downplayed it. And she was like, why are you like that? I was like, I just don't want to talk about it. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Such you know, a good I, example. Of just are, right. Like, people know really, because, because I was worried about coming across as being bragging. So, oh my was, so when I was mentioning, I, I, I literally like I could notice that my body posture was like this, like oh yeah, coming out with Forbes. This oh week. my gosh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, that's that's a whole other thing too about how our posture goes down. Like when we use minimizing language, like when we say, you know, I just wanted to ask you a question, or could I interrupt? And we do this hunch thing and make ourselves smaller as opposed to, you know, I want to offer a tip versus I just want to offer a little tip. It's but, such a but can I give you an example of when I haven't done that, like the, with the investor that I, the lady that I was talking to you about, she asked me, so who is helping you with marketing? And I said, well, I'm the marketing expert because I've got, um, you know, I've worked with Steinway. I've been in LinkedIn top voice three years in a row. I've done all of these different things. And then she said, okay, then. So it sounds like you don't need me. And like, she just abruptly ended the conversation. So uh, I was like, you asked me a question and I tried to 
show oh. you that I have the credibility, right? And, and things like that, it's occasionally, it backfires. So uh, I think it's almost like women and people expect us to minimize ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, so and then, yeah, and then it maybe becomes a vicious circle. Yeah, and then she might have been feeling insecure of, oh, she doesn't need me. And then maybe she got smaller. I mean, I don't know the context, but I certainly feel like no matter what, we've got to be really clear on what we want yeah. and what are we asking for and knowing the situation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. else? Okay. Then the, we had uh, uh, speak tentatively. Oh, speak yes. Tentative. So making sure that you're speaking from that wonderful muscle called the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. I too have a singing background and really being able to speak mm-hmm. with projection. So I think about volume just to keep it simple, speak louder and speak with statements declaratively rather than tentatively or questioning yourself when it's supposed to be a statement yeah amazing and um then you said about uh they give too much details oh yes get to the point quickly think before you speak and this goes back to what you were saying before Somi, about pausing yeah pause think about what is the point and then state the lead of your story up front. So it should be yeah. one phrase, you know, here's, here's what I want to say, as opposed to going through all these details and getting on tangents. And as a recovering rambler, I also like to tell people that I've taught myself, if I notice myself rambling, it's not too late. You can stop and say, be quiet. My point <laughs> <is this." laughs> yes, you pause. Yeah. My point is this, or let me get back to the point yeah yes yeah exactly okay so posture you mentioned as well right so that's uh that's one of the things we could call that one sure sure yeah yeah so like what's the appropriate yeah thinking about the well amy cuddy is the the person who came up with the phrase power poses so if if anybody hasn't watched her ted talk i would do that but yeah just having your shoulders back and, and making yourself bigger. So not being afraid to project even with your gestures, even on Zoom, you know, you don't want to be in people's, in the camera, but using your gestures, putting those hands or that shoulders back and making yourself bigger is going to make you feel more confident. And if you feel more confident, you're going to come across more confident as well. Yeah, exactly. I do, one little tip for Zoom is- You mean one tip, right? Not one, one little tip. tip. Oh, yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Oh, thank you. Thanks for calling that one out. Yeah, amazing. One, one tip for Zoom is uh, that I find that if I'm giving you an important presentation, uh, I, uh, if you have a sit-stand desk, I stand. Um, because yes. when you stand, it yes. helps your posture, but also it helps you get to the point uh, faster and and clear because you're standing on your feet right so yeah i i do find that standing helps yes so that's, that's a good that's one. a good tip very very mm-hmm. good yeah if you it's have so to. true i i used to work with a client that had they <clears throat> call them stand-up meetings and the, mm-hmm. the intent was that people would stand and they would go faster yes great yeah. that's a yeah. that's a great place to to end the conversation okay Thank you so much for being here You're today. You're welcome. Amazing. You. So much fun. It has been really fun. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Karen Laos. 
Be sure to check out her LinkedIn and follow her on social media. You can also join Karen's sessions on Fanpeak. She is always one of my favorites. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. Our team works extremely hard to bring these interviews to you, and your support will help more people discover the content. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fanpeak, head over to fanpeak.ai, register, and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.